Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. I don't know about you, but I love him. Amen? Anybody else love him? What I mean is, knowing what my father's like, considering what I have done and places I have been, to know that he loves me and welcomes me with open arms today makes me want to praise him. Anybody else want to praise him this morning? Five of us want to praise him. All right. Uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me in Luke chapter 15. Would you make your way there? Luke chapter 15. And as you make your way there, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And I, By the way, let me say this. I'm so glad I won't be rushed this time. Are you glad of that? I mean, we can just take a deep breath and take our time. Aren't you glad? Oh, boy. It got quiet in here. Hey, if you're our guest, if you'll notice on the chair backs in front of you, about every third chair, there's a little QR code. If you will help us minister to you and be there for you, if you would, by scanning that with your phone and giving us a little information so that we can do that, okay? That's what we're here for. We want to be able to minister to you as we go along the journey of life. The title of our message from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 11. And we're going to cover verse 11 to verse number 24 is this, coming home to the perfect father. Wouldn't that be nice if you had the perfect father? Anybody would say yes about that? Do you know that none of us in here, here on earth, at least as far as an earthly father, none of us in the room can say that we had the perfect earthly father. Do you know that, me and you? Yes? We all share that in common. None of us had the perfect earthly father. Some of us in the room had some really, really good earthly fathers. Somebody, amen, still do, right? Some of us had some, well, just sort of neutral earthly fathers. And some of us had some what we'll call deadbeat dads. Uh, And let me just say they're absent from your life or maybe they caused more pain by being there through abuse and different types of things. And so I know this, it's hard for all of us to fathom that there is in fact a perfect father. So we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help again today as we come to the word of God, okay? Now, before we stand to our feet and begin to read, I want to just ask you a question, okay? And the question is, have you ever done anybody on earth, planet earth wrong? Have you ever done anybody wrong? Yes. Uh, would you, maybe we could say it this way. Have you ever burnt any bridges? You ever burnt any bridges? Anybody ever burnt any bridges with you? Yeah. What I've noticed about me and you is as I watch us in life, and I'm talking about me and you, I, y'all know I'm a people watcher, and I'm not the weird kind, but just sort of watching how we do, I've noticed that we have a tendency to uh, treat people different when they burn bridges based on their relationship with us. Does that make sense to you? What I mean is, um, when, when a friend burns a bridge, right, uh, we respond a certain way. Um, when someone that we would call an acquaintance, in other words, maybe a friend but not very heavily involved in our lives, when they do us wrong or turn their back on us or walk away or burn a bridge, we have a tendency to leave it burnt right away, don't we? And then those people who are a little closer to us, if they burn the bridge a couple, three times over... Uh, We have a tendency, don't we, uh, to stand on our side of the bank and look at them on the other side and wave at them. And and in any attempt to try to build a bridge back, we throw rocks at them across the way, right? And so there are ways that we treat people. Have you noticed that we treat our family a little differently? And even if you think about your family, when you go from like parents to, you know, siblings to children, have you noticed that when our children burn bridges... You and I have a tendency not only to allow them to build the bridge back, but to in fact get down on our hands and knees and help dig the pylons and the footings to help them put the framework up and help them to put the material in place to build that bridge. Somebody amen right there if you know what I'm talking about, right? It's different, isn't it? And so today we're going to look at a message that deals with betrayal and betrayal within the family and what happens and how does God respond to that. And I want to just, if I could give you a wide angle lens first and narrow it down to the few verses we're going to look at. Wide angle, the gospel according to Luke. Luke by trade was a physician 
And he wrote this letter, remember, he, he wrote this gospel so that Theophilus, now we knew it was going to be passed around, but it was to a specific person by the name of Theophilus, right? And the purpose of the letter, now you've got to keep this theme in mind. Every time you study the word, it helps you to remember the context of what you're hearing. The, th- the, me- the theme of it was that Theophilus would know, based on Luke's firsthand testimony, okay, that everything that was said about the life, the times, the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus was absolutely true. Okay, now that's wide angle lens. We're narrowing down to chapter number 15 where Jesus has been dealing with, well, let me say it this way. He has first been receiving sinners. You know what that word receiving means? Uh, it's the same word as we would use to say welcome. We welcomed them, right? Uh, it's, have you ever been into a place where you were unwelcomed? Isn't that a fun feeling when you're unwelcome? Isn't it funny nobody has to say anything sometimes? And you, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And you already know, you just need to kind of back away because you're not welcome there. But at the same time, wouldn't you agree with me that when you're welcomed, it's the attitude of the one who's receiving you that says to you, hey, you're welcome here. You're valued here. I'm glad that you're here. And so that is what was happening with Jesus and with sinners. Now, you say, which, what do you mean sinners? Because all of humanity is sinners, right? Yes. But by definition, in this particular scenario, these are sinners that were sinning grossly on the outside. Sometimes our sin is more observable. Somebody amen if you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes our sin is less observable when it's an attitude of the heart. You agree with that? Hard for me and you to see in each other's heart, but sin can still be going on within the heart of mankind. So you've got a group of people who are outwardly sinning very grossly, if you will, and Jesus is welcoming them. And I want you to know it makes the religious people really, really mad when you love people right where they are. Uh, religious folk, when they, have, they don't have relationship, all they have is a, a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, they are uncomfortable with you loving people right where they are, okay? Loving them where they are. And so the, the Pharisees, the religious elite, are angry with Jesus. And they're saying such things as, he receives sinners. He even eats with them. Can you believe that? He sits down and eats with them. Now, don't make the mistake that Jesus uh, met people where they were and left them like that, right? Everywhere Jesus met somebody, when they would leave from his presence, he'd remind them he loved them where they were, but he did not expect them to stay in the sin in which they were living, right? To the woman at the well, he said, uh, to the woman caught in adultery, rather, he said, now go and sin no more, don't keep doing what you're doing. I love you where you are, but don't keep doing what you're doing. All right, so they're angry with him. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus takes here in Luke chapter 15, three different parables to answer the attitude of the religious people's heart. What's their attitude? They're angry that Jesus is welcoming sinners. So Jesus tells three parables. What is a parable? A parable is an earthly story that has heavenly meaning, okay? So Jesus is telling these stories for teaching purpose. The first story deals with a sheep and a shepherd, right? One sheep of the 100 is gone. The shepherd goes after them, finds that sheep, comes home, and invites everybody to rejoice with them, okay? So Jesus is saying, here's, you're mad about this, but here's what th- what's going on is like. It's like a shepherd finding their sheep. When I'm welcoming sinners, it's like a shepherd finding their sheep. The second story he tells is about a woman who loses, somebody help me, a coin, And the coin has been lost, and so she begins to turn the light on, sweep the house. She's looking diligently for the lost coin. She finds the coin. She tells her neighbors, come on over, rejoice with me, because my coin, I found my coin. And so Jesus said, when I'm meeting sinners, when I'm welcoming sinners, when I'm inviting sinners to sit down and hear the truth and meet me in the flesh, what's happening is it's like a woman who lost something very valuable, and she found it. But then he goes on, and in the third parable, takes great pains to describe what it really looks like in the lives of people, okay? So that's what we're going to look at. You probably know the testimony as the parable of, help me somebody, the prodigal son, which is a lie. The parable is not a parable of the prodigal son. Question, how many sons are there? Two. Why would we pick one to name the parable? Man is so flawed, aren't we? The parable, in fact, is about a loving father, There are two sons, but they're not the heroes of the story. The heroes of the story are, the hero of the story is the loving father who represents God. All right? Who represents God. Now, without any further explanation, I feel like we did pretty good there, right? You got an intro. You know what's going on. Would you stand to your feet with me in honor of reading his word? And let's read verse 11 down through verse 24, okay? 11 through 24. Any of y'all glad as I am to be here? Man, I got up this morning, I said, I can't wait to get there and share this message. The last two weeks have been kind of tough messages, haven't they? 
Well, not last week, but the two before that, right? And I'm like, Lord, uh, and Lord said, he gave, I was like, yes, he gave me one that is, oh, it's just going to bless our hearts today. Not that the other two didn't, they were a little harder to deliver, all right? So here we go. Luke 15, beginning in verse number 11. Then he said, this is Jesus, still speaking to that group. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them. Them. He didn't just give to the younger son, he gave to the older son, to them, his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal means wasteful. Just keep that in mind. Wasteful. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Now he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pies that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And he had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he, remember he had rehearsed what he was going to say. I have, you ever done that, by the way? Rehearse what you're going to say? Yeah. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts. And the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and let's kill it and let us eat and be merry. Why? Verse 24, for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry together. All right, so let's pause for just a moment to pray, okay? Will you pray with me? Now I'm looking around and I know this. I know this, we all have to be careful here because it's a story we've heard, it's a passage we've heard preached, we've studied it, we've taught it, we've looked at it inside, outside. We have to be very careful that we don't fall in the trap of uh, of familiarity breeding contempt in our heart. So let's bow our head and ask the Lord to make it like we're just reading it for the very first time and ask the Spirit of God to speak to you in a right and rich and magnificent way. Father, we thank you today for your word and for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of preaching. I pray now that, Lord, by your power, you would put on display the fact that you can take a less than ordinary man and preach truth that changes not only me, but every person who will allow it. Father, I pray that these truths hit our hearts, hit the mark, Lord, that they settle down in and that wherever we are, that we would come closer to Jesus. Father, as you help me to preach, also would you help me to hear? I want to hear you. And I pray not only me, but every person within the sound of my voice, God, that you would you'd take your spirit and edge us up to the fringe of our seat like we were hanging on at some very important meeting. And we were leaning in, listening to our Father, who would speak a word of life to us. Please speak from heaven, we're listening. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the children of God said, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, what we're going to do is rewind to the beginning. that be all right? You know, just as soon as I got through preaching this morning, we were praying over with the praise team, and I was kind of talking through the message again. I said, I'm ready to preach this thing again, (laughs) you know. And uh, I hope that today you will be involved as much as the 8.30 worship time or more, all right? So number one in your notes, there are going to be four Roman numerals this morning. Are you glad? And some of those are going to have a little one, a little two, so you just hang on, all right? Roman numeral one, write this down. We're going to take a look at, in verse number 12 and 13, the fallen heart of man. Okay? Now, Jesus is telling a parable, and he's teaching some things. He's bringing some things to light. Okay? And the first thing we're going to look at in Jesus' third parable to this same audience. Remember where it started. Uh, he was receiving, welcoming sinners. He's meeting with them, talking to them, teaching them, explaining to them that he is the way uh, and the truth and the life. And the religious folk are angry. They don't want Jesus not supposed to be associating with such sinners. And Jesus begins to tell these parables that says, this is what's happening. I'm going to just give you some stories to help you understand what's going on when I welcome sinners, okay? So he said, it's like, a, it's like a certain man who had two sons, verse 11. And the younger of them said to his father, and what I want to do here is give you two, there's going to be two examples of the fallen heart of man. Two examples. Number one, number one, we are born with a disregard for God's presence, Okay, now write that in your notes. Let me explain. We are born with a disregard for God's 
presence. Now, now, some of us have gotten to the place where we highly regard what God offers. Some of us have gotten to the place where we don't even care about what God offers. We just want to do life our way. But not many of us have gotten to the place where we highly regard the presence of God. Okay? Now listen to what happens here. The son. You say, where do you get that at in this parable? The son says, the younger of the sons says to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that, now notice it's a, it's a, it's a present tense form that falls to me. Now, what is he saying? A future perfect tense of the verb means it's something that's supposed to come later. What's he saying? You know by Jewish tradition that when the father died, and we know that by the parable, he's a very wealthy man, has land, has servants, okay? And so he says that, um, he says, I want what would come to me if you were dead. Basically, what he's saying is, I don't want you, I want what you have to offer me. What the son is looking at the daddy in the eyes is saying is this, I don't value your presence, I just want what you can give me so I can do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I want to do it with your resources. Now let me just say something to you. As a daddy, that would sting a little bit, wouldn't it? As a mama, as a friend, as someone that loves somebody else, for them to look you in the eyes and say, hey, listen, it's been a good ride, and, uh, but I'm at the place now where I feel like I'm ready to be independent of you. And so what I want to do is, I want everything you'll give to me, and I'm out of here. I don't care if you live or die. I don't care if I ever see you again. I just want to go and have all the fun I can have and live life to the fullest right here and right now. We are born with a disregard for God's presence. Now, let me show you what that looks like in today's reality, okay? Not many of us are going to walk away from our Father's vast vineyards and land and feasts, right, and servants, But many of us do in other ways disregard his presence. Here's what it would look like today. Here's what it looks like. It looks like a complete lack of time spent with him. It looks like social media before God. It looks like hobbies ahead of of him. It looks like busyness, doing tasks, assignments, even serving the Lord and not spending time sitting with him. This is the attitude the son had. I don't care. Some of you say, I would never say that. No, your actions are saying that. I don't care about sitting with you. I don't care about sitting still and praying and listening for you and spending time. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it right now. That's what it looks like. Now, let me move on. It looks like give me rather than be with me. See the difference? This disregard for the presence of God. Give me rather than be with me. It looks like to me sometimes when the two-year-old comes up to you for the lollipop, and you give them the lollipop, and they bolt and run from you. You know, they just want to go out and have fun, enjoy the lollipop. They don't care about being around you at that time. And so it looks like, give me rather than be with you. It looks like, it looks like, listen, in your prayer life, it looks like, fix my finances. It looks like, fix my illness. Heal me. It looks like, fix my marriage, God. It looks like, heal my children. Bring my children to a good place. But don't you dare tell me what to do. It's a, it's a disregard for the presence of God. I'm not going to give you any of my time, but I want you to do and give me what befalls me as your child, but I don't want to value your, I don't value your presence. It looks like, it looks like I am my own captain. Did you know we're born that way? Anybody know that about us? I say this so often, I get sick of hearing myself say it. So you probably certainly do. And that is, if you don't believe it, take a little short walk down to the nursery and to the toddler rooms. But don't let your child see you, because if you do, they'll start tearing the paint off the wall to get to you, because they want what they want when they want it. They don't care what kids they have to scratch, bite, pinch, or what worker in the nursery they have to drive to their wit's end uh, to get what they want. And in a moment, it'd be you. But if you're not around, it'll be a toy. And if there's no toys around, it'll be a goldfish. Anybody tracking with me? And you were that way, and I was that way, and every person born under the sun after Adam and Eve were born with that nature. They said, I don't, I don't value your presence. I'm my own God, and I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It looks like when you and I are the captain of our ship, we're willing to captain our ship even if we sink it. Somebody amen right there? And it's a disregard for the presence of God. Now, let me remind you that in the middle of all of this, what we need to understand is that none of us then are better than any of us. Anybody out there? We all born with the same condition. It says, me above everybody, all right? And we don't want boundaries that come with the presence, okay? Because in essence, what he's saying to the fathers, I don't really value your presence because with your presence comes boundaries. And the sad reality of you and I and humanity is this. God's boundaries are there for our salvation, God's boundaries are there for the salvation of our marriage. They're for the salvation of our soul. They're there for the salvation of our finances. Anybody tracking with me? He's given us these boundaries. And he says, if you'll operate inside here, things are going to be good. 
I'm going to bless you. And you're going to enjoy fellowship. It's sort of like when mom and dad give boundaries. We don't give it, kids, to keep you from having any fun in your life. And boy, it'll take you a little while. to. Let, you'll hear me say that and smile at me. But it'll take you some years to learn that. The boundaries are there because love says, I want to keep you in a place where you're able to really enjoy your life and thrive there. So he said, I don't want that. I don't want that. Now, someone would say to me, not valuing the presence of God, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? Matter of fact, here's a better question. When you hear the gospel that God sent his son into the world to save sinners such as I, that he died a criminal's death, placed in a bar tomb, third day rose from the dead, that somebody like me can come to him by faith and be saved and be brought into the family of God. Who in their right mind would ever say no to that kind of deal? Who would ever say, I'll trade, I'll, I'll, you can trade your sin and sorrow and guilt for forgiveness and restoration and purpose. Man, that's the sweetest deal you've ever been offered. Who would reject that? Jesus told us who would reject it and why. In John chapter 3, I'm going to read it in verse number 19. It's going to be on the overhead. You read along with me, okay? John 3 and verse 19. Jesus said, right after talking about the gospel, and this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. Why would anybody reject such an offer? And men loved darkness rather than Light. We want to do our way. We don't care what anybody says. We, we love our way of doing it. And we don't like light because light exposes the deeds and that the deeds are evil. Okay, so we're born with a disregard for God. Number two, number two, we're born with a disregard for God's provisions. Now, I'm going to explain this, and we'll talk about it here in just a moment. Where do I find that in the parable? Okay, read along. I'm just kind of teaching you how to study the Bible. I'm reading now verse 14. So first he disregarded his presence because all he wanted was the possessions or the provision. He takes the provision and he does something that proves he disregards the father's hard work and all that his father had done in a lifetime of working to save up and to build some fortune that he passed to the son, okay? How do, how did, how did, how, where did I find the fact that he disregarded the father's provision? Because he spent it all. He just wasted it. Let's read, okay? Verse 14. But when he had spent all, and by the way, an interesting, he didn't spend some, he spent because sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you ever thought you were going to pay. And you'll be there longer than you ever planned on staying. And he went there. And, I, and, I, and I'm sure, don't you know that when he's coming to his dad, he's like, you know what? I really don't want to say this to dad. But man, I just really want to go and have some fun. I want freedom. I want to go be free. And the promise of freedom, isn't it, uh, isn't it a wonderful thing? I'm going to go be free and do what I want to do when I want to do it. I remember being a kid thinking, well, when I can drive, I'm going to drive all over the United States. Now I'm asking Tina if she'll drive, you know. And his thoughts of freedom, you know, you, you just have this idea that out there somewhere doing whatever you want, whenever you want is so free and wonderful. And for a season it is. But with it comes great consequence. And so he's walking away from the umbrella protection of his father and he takes the provisions a dad who'd worked hard a dad who was obviously smart and frugal he'd saved up and amassed some money and the son takes what his dad had worked hard to get and he spends it all the scripture goes on to tell us in verse 14 uh, he spent all there arose a famine now how did he do that look back in verse 13 he wasted his possessions with prodigal living now i want you to write this word in your notes prodigal equals wasteful okay now listen, I'm going to show a picture here of how you and I fit in here. Okay, so prodigal is wasteful. What does that mean? It means using something, okay, using something of value, using it how? Carelessly or extravagantly, right? Or, anybody still out there? Come on. To no purpose. Using something for no purpose whatsoever. Wasteful, all right, careless, extravagant. And no purpose. Now, you may say, I don't fit into that category. Hold your horses. Let's talk for just a minute about the great provisions of God for his children. Four. I'm going to talk about four. I usually talk about three, but I'm including the number one that brings us into the family. And that is the provision of Jesus Christ, the Savior. So in your notes there, write your little list. We're going to talk about the provisions of God. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, have I been, have I been, could I have been, am I being wasteful, with the resources, the provision that God has given me. Number one, it is the Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. You're talking about God loving the world so much that he gave, you see, 
uh, his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but instead have everlasting life. Okay, so God gave the provision of the son. And by the way, there was only one sacrifice that would work, and it was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. Now, you say, well, how could I waste that? Well, we, we waste Jesus by not receiving him as Lord. And so there's a portion of us in here that though we come in, We've not come into what we call a church. It's not the building, it's the people. And we feel like, well, maybe when I'm, the preacher's talking that I'm going to heaven and I'm saved. And that would be like standing in your car. You think that I could uh, open the door of your arm, get in and drive you around like a car. It doesn't make any sense, you see. Uh, a person would have to receive Jesus as Lord. So there's the wasting of the provision of Jesus the Savior. All right? Number two, there's the provision of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like you've wasted... Do you feel like you've ever wasted the provision of the Holy Spirit? What's the Spirit's responsibility? The Spirit's responsibility is to prompt me, to convict me of sin and to righteousness. The Spirit's responsibility is to guide me into truth. The Spirit's responsibility is to bring the truth up that I've stored away in my heart that I might not sin against Him in situations that give me victory and moment by moment as life unfolds. The Spirit's responsibility is to prompt me to do good deeds, to serve others. Oh, the Spirit's responsibility is to help me make disciples. Let's take that one. How are you doing there? Are you wasted Him? You're wasting the great provision of the Holy Spirit because you're not making disciples? Now see, that look on your face tells me, some of y'all thought, I'm not a wasteful living. Uh Uh-oh. I've been given a double portion. I've been given the whole Holy Ghost. And I've been given the assignment of making disciples. And I'm wasting the Holy Spirit by not doing so. So we might move on to the next provision. And the Holy Spirit being number two. Number three would be the Word. The Bible. The great resource of God to nourish my soul, to transform my thinking. Uh, to cause me to know who I am and whose I am and live from an overflow. All right? Let me ask you something. Do you begin the day in it? Do you nourish your soul on it first thing in the morning so that you live a nourished and loved life? Or are you wasting it? Prodigal living. Prodigal living. The fourth and final great resource of God, and I believe is probably the most neglected resource of God, is, you may well guess this one, it is the church. The church, the great resource of God in the Greek called Ecclesia. You know what that word means? The called out or the assembled ones. Now, who in heaven's name could think that you could meet on the bank of a creek in your climbing stand and call yourself going to church? It's nonsense. Assembled, not by yourself. Assembly means a gathering, a group of people. Is anybody tracking with me? I am grow weary of some of these songs that talk about my church is my car and my, ch- my altar is my dashboard and Johnny Cash music is my choir and all this sort of man-made nonsense that points his finger and fist waving in the face of God who says the church is the called out ones called out from the world and the assembled ones who assemble for the purpose of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have gotten the wrong definition of church, but you won't after today. Have you wasted it? You see, Lifeway says now that a... A active member of the church is somebody who comes one Sunday a month. Can you imagine what your marriage would look like if y'all saw each other for one hour each month? I'll tell you what it'd look like. It wouldn't be much of a marriage. And yet, some of us in here feel like we really are part of the church. And we come one Sunday a month. You see, you're wasting the great resource of God. It's called prodigal living. He's provided the great resource of the church to preach the word, to teach the word, to equip the saints, to encourage you, cheer you on, and provide platforms for you to use your gifts. That's what we're here for. And that's what keeps us going because life is long and difficult. Somebody ought to amen right there. And we're made for community and doing it together. So maybe God just readjusted your calendar a little bit. You ought to start planning your week around the gathering of God's church. If you are, in fact, part of that church, and you realize the great generosity of God of giving you that church, then I should see you back here tonight at 6 p.m. Notice I have a little smile, but here's as I say that, the reason that I smile is many of you would choose the fair. Fried corn dogs. <laughs> People playing instruments in concert. Over meeting with the family of God for your encouragement and your growth and your opportunity. Oh, I pray unto God if you don't get anything else, maybe that's one thing God brought you here to just adjust in your life. So, you'd agree with me that we, we have been prodigal in our lifestyles. Anybody amen? We, not you, we. We've become prodigal, wasteful, 
Not using it. No purpose. God forgive us and help us. Now, okay, so we painted a picture here of the fallen heart of man. Secondly, I want to talk for a minute something unique to this parable. He told three. And that is, number two, write this down, Roman number two, the misery of lostness or the misery of being lost. Now, watch this. You may have never seen this before. Did you notice that this is special to this third parable, right? In the parable of the sheep or the parable of the coin, you don't hear any explanation of the misery of the lost condition, right? This is yes. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, I need you to participate. We won't ever get out of here, all right? So let's think about that. Why? Why do you think Jesus tells three parables? The whole point is... Y'all are mad because I'm meeting with sinners and welcoming them. And here's what it's really going on. It's like, it's like a shepherd finding a sheep. It's like a lady who's fallen in a lost coin. It's like a daddy whose son was dead and lost and come home and made alive. Now, why in this third one do we have a depiction of the misery of the lost condition? Well, here's why. I'm glad you asked, by the way. Because a sheep is not made in the image of God. It doesn't have a soul. It lacks the ability to reason. It's why it'll walk right off a cliff. Did y'all know that about sheep? If one sheep goes, they'll follow the other sheep, and they'll just walk one after the other to their death. It's why they can fall in a certain position. Instead of just standing up, they'll die in that spot. That's why that staff of the shepherd has a crook in it. I want you to understand that the sheep is not like you and me, all right? The second thing is the coin. Now, coin obviously has no emotion. It has no capacity to suffer. Are you tracking with me? It's only the owner of the coin that has a little suffering because, well, she's sweeping and looking. But the coin has no capacity to love and to, and to do. And so now you begin to understand the picture of the fact that man, only man, was made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean you have the same eyeballs that God has and the same hair color that God has. What it means is you are made with some of the same capacities that God has for decision making. In other words, love is a decision of the wills. God gave us free will in order that we would choose to love him because he first loved us. So now you begin to understand why we have in the Son a depiction of the misery of lostness. How many of you know it's miserable to be away from God? If you don't know, you will know before we're done. Okay, so let's put back our eyes back on the passage. And if you would look with me, this is going to be verses 14, 15, and 16. Okay, everybody good? Yes, all right, so here we go, verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. Now, what I'm going to do for the sake of time is I'm about to outline three particular things that identify the far country. What's the far country? When we detach ourselves from the Father and go our own way. All right? Now, you know the far-off country can be as far as right outside your door. Did you know the far-off country can be still living in the same house? Yeah. And so what does it look like? Number one, number one, these are conditions of the far country. Number one, it's difficult. (laughs) Boy, that sounds simple, doesn't it? It's hard. I don't know about you guys, but I've spent seasons where I turned my back and walked walked away from God and did it my own way, and it was hard. Now, if you'd have asked me in that moment, those times, I'd have told you, I'm having the time of my life. But when I was laying my head down on my pillow, crying myself to sleep each night, I knew that it was really hard to do in my own strength. Let me give you what I mean here. So he goes to this far off country, and he's there, and he's having freedom, and he's spending money, and he's having a blast, and the money runs out. And he finds himself in this place where, in verse 14, there arises a famine, a severe famine. And so you understand and agree the fact that life is full of hard things. How many of you agree with that? Say amen. How many of you agree with this statement? Life is unpredictable. Yeah. And because of that, we need to be close to the Father that we might be able to find strength and help in our time of need. But when we detach from the Father, we go to the far country and we try to try harder to make it through our difficult seasons. Okay? So number one, this difficult, uh, this far country is difficult. Okay? Uh, Let me move on if I can. Number two, the, the far country is, listen to this word, unfulfilling unfulfilling if you look with me still in verse number 14 but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be listen closely in want now the picture here you see is like inside of something and what is he inside of he's inside of that painful thing that drives a lot of our activity listen to me The reason you did something today, the reason you got up, the reason that you ate breakfast, the reason that you didn't is because you wanted to. And what we've found about ourselves is what we want to do, 
We do. Why? Because want is painful. And if you want and can't have, oh man, isn't it painful? And if you just sit and want and you linger in your mind and you think about it and you go over it and you rehearse it and you think about how good it would taste or how good it would feel or how good it would be to have and if you stay in that, I'm telling you, that want will grow inside of you and it is almost an unmanageable bear, isn't it? And that's where he found himself. He wanted food. He didn't have any. And the more you don't have, the more you seem to want And so he doesn't have anything to drink. and He doesn't have anything to eat. And so because he has detached from the Father and his provision, because the presence of God has the provision of God, he walked away and went his own way, and he's found himself in a difficult place, but also a place of unfulfillment. Listen to me. I want you to understand something. We were made by God in his image, and we were made for him. And because he is a big God, there's a big void that only he can fill. Well, I want you to think about for just a minute, Sometimes we and you and me, we pursue something that really drains us instead of fills us. Anybody say that about your life? Well, I'm telling you, I used to think that living that life style that I was living, drinking and partying and having a blast and fighting and just doing, I thought that was going to be the means to an end all. It was going to be great. And yet every night I grew more unfulfilled. Every day I woke up a little more empty on the inside. So this unfulfilling place of difficulty, all right, is a nagging feeling there, okay, unfulfilled. Number three, write this in your notes, it's verse 15 and 16, and I want you to write this down. It's, it is this truth. In the far off country, there is no help. No real help. No real help. Let me explain what I mean, okay? Look with me in verse 15. So then he finds himself in want. It's difficult, okay? He finds himself in want. He's unfulfilled. He has a gnawing thirst in his soul. Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself, help me y'all, to a citizen of that country. And so he's found somebody. Oh, there's a guy. And he looks like he has some stuff. And when you're in want, you'll do some desperate stuff. Did you know that? And sees a guy of a foreign country, and he sees him, and he's thinking to himself, man, uh, that guy's got some land. He's probably like my dad. Uh, He's got provision. He's got what I need. I'm going to go to him and want and see how he can help me. And so he, listen to what the scripture says. He attaches himself or joins himself to a citizen. Listen carefully. When you detach yourself from God, you will attach yourself to something. Or to someone. You tracking with me? So he sees him and he's like, oh, thank God. This is going to make life better. I can just drink this. I can just sniff this. I can just inject this. I can just sleep with this. I can just buy this. I can just eat this. And the want is going to go away. But remember, the void is so large because only God fits there and he's a big God. There's no amount of criming into our lives that which is also empty to make the emptiness go away. So he sees him, and he goes to him. And how does the, how does the, how does the, the hope, the, help, the hope of help in a foreign place, how does it meet him? Come on in. Let me sit you down. I got some cornbread and pinto beans ready. Sit at the table. I've got you a soft bed to sleep in. I've got you a warm bath. Get you a bath, and let me get you cleaned up. No, you know what he did? He said, yeah, I'll help you out. Go feed the pigs. Now, you have to remember, the son is of Jewish descent, meaning he saw pigs as unclean. Matter of fact, so unclean that they would oftentimes walk miles out of the way to avoid coming in contact with a pig. And now, not only is he going to walk by one, come on, somebody help me out. He's about to go into the pen with the slop and not even be able to eat it himself. You see, that's what the pleasures of the world offer. When you and I attach ourselves to them, they offer this wonderful life, this greener pasture, This free way of living that feels so good for the moment. But it leads us to a place in the end and maybe many years down the road where we're such miserable state that we long to eat the slop of pigs. Now let's talk about that for just a minute. Sometimes we attach ourselves to crude things. Would you agree with me? Such as, y'all just track with me. Y'all, everybody okay? Y'all need to stand up? Everybody good? Yes, all right. So sometimes we attach ourselves to crude things like drugs. What do you mean? I mean it's observable. You, you ever noticed a person when that before they got on the drugs and they got on the drugs? It doesn't take long, does it? We call it high mileage. It doesn't take long before you can look at that person and tell that the outward sin, right, of, of drug abuse has, has had ravished their body. Alcohol, same thing. 
Would you agree with me? People know when you're drunk, passed out, when you're thrown up, they know the look of your face, what you look like, those little extra red places on your face, those little broken capillaries. Uh, they know uh, the look of a family who's kind of pretending that dad is a good dude, but really when he gets drunk, he's, he's just useless at home or he's, or he's bitter. And I'm telling you, listen, what happens is they're easily observable, the crude ones. Uh, when it is illicit sex or alcohol or drugs, you're going to attach yourself to something. Sometimes it's violence. Sometimes it's food. It's observable. You with me? If a person tries to eat their way to comfort, a place that only God can provide, you know what happens? You're going to know quickly. Is anybody with me out there? So if you detach from God and a personal, intimate relationship with Him begins in the morning in His Word and time on your face in prayer, if you're not there, if you detach yourself, if you walk away, if you've never known Him, you will attach yourself to something because the pain of the void that only God can feel is, Im- is unmanageable. But sometimes, sometimes there's a group in the room that think, yeah, I've never done those things before. I have people tell me that all the time. Never done like you did. You attach yourself to the more refined sins, such as money. And so for the onlooker, they'd look at your life and say, wow, you're doing great. You've made good business decisions. You've invested wisely. You've saved and done well. And you've got a large bank account. You can buy whatever you want. Matter of fact, there'll be people in your life that are trying to model your life. Sometimes it is not money. It is, in fact, a career we've attached ourselves to, detached from God. Sometimes it's an employer or an employee. Sometimes it's a spouse or your family. The more refined things, not nearly as observable. Sometimes it's a sport. Sometimes it's a cabin at the lake. Sometimes it's hunting for that trophy. And yet, the results of the crude or the more refined in the end will be exactly the same. The kind of wanting, somebody said, not me, man. I've learned how to make money. I'm doing great. You just hang on, big boy. If you remain attached to the wrong thing, what is guaranteed in your future is the kind of misery that finally mounts to a place where you wish you could eat the slop of pigs. And that's where they found, that's where he found himself. See, if you detach from God, you're going to attach to something. Because the pain of that void that only he can feel has to be filled by something. But nothing's big enough. And so we chase our tails and we chase the wind and we find ourselves in all kind of difficulty. And the question I would pose to the group today, and myself included, is who or what have you or I attached ourselves to that cannot or will not help us and has only left us longing for more? It's a good question to wrestle with. Somebody amen right there? Now moving on to Roman numeral three. I'm so glad we're not rushed. Let me say that again. Repentance leads home. Just write that statement. Repentance leads, y'all help me, home. Now we're going to clarify what true repentance really is. Now you know there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Do y'all know that? Yes. Worldly sorrow, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that that I'm going to suffer now and I've got to pay consequences. That's worldly sorrow. You don't have to be saved. You'll have that. Godly sorrow is a broken heart because of what I have done to the name of my master. Does that make sense to you? Uh, Let me go back and let's look at it in the text. Okay, so repentance leads on. Little list of three. Number one. This is stages of repentance. Number one. Verse 17. First step of, of, of repentance. An awakening of who I really am without God. An awakening to who I really am without God. Now, where do I see that? What happened to the, to the, to the prodigal son? He's in the pig pen and he, what happens in verse 17? Y'all aren't reading ahead, are you? They all, I see you still writing. An awakening of who I really am without God. Okay? What happened in verse 17? You see in the parentheses, he came to himself. He looks first inward. He looks first at himself. He looks at what he's done. He looks at where he's ended up. He looks at a life of his decision and temporary pleasure has led him to the hog pen. A place where he wouldn't walk by when he was walking and living with his daddy. A place he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even grace the presence of a pig, much less go into the slop with a bucket of slop to feed the swine. 
And so the scripture says he came to himself. An awakening. Repentance will never happen until you have an awakening of who you really are without God. Or who you really are because of your decisions. Does that make sense to you? Some of us in our life, we can identify with that. I've looked at my life before and the decisions that I made. And I just sort of came to myself and said, my goodness. It, for me, it was in a Bellhaven apartment coming out of my uh, bedroom there. Looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, who in the world is that guy? And I hate him. It was me. I had to come first to grips with who I was because of the decisions that I've made. All right? So, uh, uh, an awakening. Number two, still in verse 17, a belief. Oh, this is so good. Somebody, y'all ain't smiled today yet. I hope you're going to smile now. A belief in, y'all help me, God's goodness. Now, notice in verse 17, he doesn't say, and he came to himself, and he got really scared about what his father was going to do to him. Do you see that? It's not the punishment of God that leads us to repentance. Instead, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And you'll find that in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So what happens? The son is in the pig pen, a slop. The, by the way, have any of y'all ever been to a pig pen? Man, I, you know, I was preparing this week, and I've been just... Re- for about two weeks, I've been preparing, praying for this message. And I said, I need to get up here and just like talk through the nastiness. And I'm like, I got a strong gag reflex. If those of you that know me know that. And I'm not going to talk about all that because I'll get to gagging up here. And that will mess all of us up, you know. And, and so it, it, let's just say that a pig pen is horrific. Would you agree with me? And I'm going to try to move on because I can smell some I've passed by before. And man, just get to gagging. And he's in the pig pit. He's not walking by it. He's trumping out in the hog mess. I'm trying not to, y'all. And, and he comes to himself, looks around at his situation, his conditions. His, and he realizes it was him that led him there, not his father. And then he thinks on the goodness of his daddy. Not on the punishment that would come. Not on the, not on the consequences of his actions. But he started thinking about how good his daddy treated his servants. And I wish to God today that you would come to a place of repentance and you're thinking and you're living not based on the consequences that are waiting for you ahead, but based upon the goodness of God that says to you, come home. Come home. It's the goodness of God. He gave up his son. How good is that? He provided the precious blood that was necessary. How good is that? He rose from the dead. How good is that? He pursued me and you when we didn't want him. How good is that? He's pursuing us now. How good is that? It's the goodness of God that leads us to turn our back on the pig pen. So the repentance, uh, an awakening of who I really am. All right. Uh, uh, Number two, a belief in God's, y'all help me, goodness. Uh, And by the way, the goodness of God is on display in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Number three, third step of repentance, humble action. You see, some people think that they've repented because they've said, I'm sorry. And an apology is not the same thing as repentance. A lot of y'all are writing right now. I want you to look up because I don't want anybody to miss this. Because some of y'all think, well, I said I'm sorry. That's not repentance. I need you to look up at me and hear me say, an apology is not repentance. It's not. He didn't say in the hog pen, I'm so sorry for what I did. He did something based on the brokenness of his heart. It has action to it. Are you with me? John said, do works befitting of repentance. In other words, repentance will prove itself in how you act. So, how did he act? Let's read. Pick your eyes with you. Put your eyes with me on verse 18 through verse 20. You there? Somebody Amen. I will arise and go to my father. There's some action. Uh, To arise and go to the father means that he'll have to turn his back on the pig pen. He can't stay in the pig pen and invite his daddy in. His daddy wouldn't come. His daddy won't bring himself down to that. God won't bring himself down for you to continue in in the way in which you and I live. We have to turn away from it. You see the picture? Changing of the mind, awareness of who I am. Changing of the mind, I see about how good God is. Leads me to turn my back on the pig pen. I heard when, when Shane Frazier gave this talk at our men's conference, he talked about the fact that sometimes we think we've left the hall pen when all we really did was put some, hang some pictures up, throw a, throw a carpet on the floor, and really all we've got is a decorated pig pen. And listen to me, God is not going to meet you there. The dad in the parable that Jesus told representing God didn't go to the son and meet him in the pig pen. The son had to turn his back on the pig pen to go to the Father. Is anybody tracking what I'm saying this morning? 
That repentance, man, it's, it's not. And notice what, notice what I, the, I carefully prayed and chose through these words. Humble action. Notice that the son doesn't storm home and say, I'm your son and I, I'm still your son. And by birthright, I'm still yours. And you're going to have me back. Oh, no. He said, let's read. All right, what did he say? Where's the humility here? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now notice the area in which the repentance comes. First, I realize I broke God's heart. Then I realize I broke your heart. You see it? I've sinned against what? Heaven. Now, you, some of us will be like, no, wait a minute. You sinned against me. No, no, no. Sinned against heaven. How do I know? In the Old Testament, which is the law in which these people he's talking to would have, in the Old Testament, it taught that when a son was rebellious in such a way that he left his father's home, when he was returning or when he was brought back, guess what would happen to that rebellious son? Taken outside the city gate and stoned to death. So he realized that it was God's law that he broke. Young people, listen, when you disobey mom and dad, it's not mom and dad's laws you're breaking. It is the law and the intention and the way of God that you're rebelling against. And so he said, I've rebelled against heaven and before my father. Let me read. In verse 19, and I'm no longer worthy to be called. Listen to, me. Listen to what he's saying here. Your son. Humility. He's not going to force his way in. He's not going to go and manipulate the father. He's not going to go in and set the terms. He's not going to go in and tell everybody how this is going to go down. He's going to ease his way in, face down, and say, if you would, grace, I'm falling on grace. I don't deserve it. But if you could, if you could just let me, whatever it takes, I'll do anything to be right with you, to be back in the right place. Oh, you see the difference between action and humble action? Oh, I wish today you and I would evaluate our lives and if we're really repentant or if we're not. Funny thing, you don't hear a lot of messages about repentance. You don't hear a lot of Facebook posts and quotes being about repentance. And yet truly it's one of the most beneficial things in the life of a child of God. Number four, and finally, how about that? Can you believe that we've gotten to the end of this thing? Now, we're going to slow land the playing because I don't want to jar anybody. Two of y'all got that. Chad, I you got that one. I'm going to slow land the plane, okay? Number four. God's response to prodigal living. What is it? How does God respond when we've burnt the bridge? Now, first I want to ask you, how do people respond? Uh, depends on how close we are to them. Would you agree with that? If we're an acquaintance, they're probably done with us. If we're a distant family member, they'll probably forgive us a couple times, you know. Children, eh, maybe. Depends on what it is that we've done in the betrayal. Anybody out there? And so, what is Father God's response? And remember, Jesus is talking to a group of people who are angry with him because he's come to welcome and receive sinners. And he says, let me give you a story to tell you what this, what's happening and what it really looks like. It looks like a father who had a son that was gone and the son comes home. And so, we're going to look at four areas of God's response. Number one, it's a seeking love. That's what he'll meet you with. He'll meet you with a seeking love. You see that in verse 20? He says, and when he was, after he rose and came to his father, but when he was still, uh, y'all reading with me in verse 20, a great way off, the father did what? Saw him. Now that's very important wording here because for him to be a great way off and for the father to see him, that means the father had to be looking down the trail in the direction with which the son had turned his back and walked away and was looking at that same trail as the potential trail of return. Hallelujah. He's looking and waiting. And I want you to understand something about God today. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, no matter how backwards it is according to his ways and his, his laws and his precepts and his, his determined plan for your life, let me say this to you. He is not mad at you. He's not changed his mind about you. You're not a second-class citizen in his in his heart but instead he watches the trail for your return with expectation that you'll come home to him and his provision and his presence and he's watching and he's waiting here's what I thought about this morning I first woke up I woke up this morning and I was kind of shaking the cobwebs off and you know what you know what thought occurred to me this thought occurred to me somebody may come home today Somebody may come home today. And it thrills the heart of God that somebody's may come home today. Somebody's may finally shake off the sin and, the, and, the, and all the difficulty and the misery of the hog pen and turn their back on that which is hurting them and turn to him who loves them, who wants to restore us. It's a seeking love. Let me move on if I can. Can you imagine the father right now looking over the horizon? 
for you to come home. Some of y'all said, well, I hadn't gone out to that. No, but it's been that, it's been that more refined thing of, of every other thing in your life, every other person in your life, every other hobby and sport ahead of him. And he's still watching the trail for you to return. It's a seeking love. Number two, it's an unconditional love. Listen to what the scripture says in verse 20. It says, not only do you see him a far way off, the first response we have from the father is that he sees him and the first response we have from the Father is that he had, y'all help me, compassion. He had compassion. You know what I put for compassion? Compassion is unconditional love. That's what it is. Compassion is caring for someone where they are. What do you mean where they are? Well, he was just a son. He wasn't a daddy. And you and I are just humans. We're not God. And God has compassion for us. Oh, I don't know about you, but, but I'm so thrilled that God has compassion for me and my human condition. He saw him a far way off, and sometimes when you see people that betray you, you may not have compassion. You ever, you ever thought much about that? Somebody who's burnt the bridge with you or betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, did the most painful thing they could possibly do to you emotionally, and now they're coming back on the trail to come back to you. Can you see yourself running the other direction? Huh? Or just me? Okay. Well, just me. I can see myself turning and breaking and running and saying, not today, but not the Father. And he has compassion for him right there where he is. And he understands that the child is just a child. I was thinking a lot about a situation that happened in our family a number of years ago. One of our children got involved with struggle with drugs. And I remember the difficulty, and Tina can testify, of what it's like to take your child. Boy, I have to fight these tears back to get through this. <clears throat> but to take your child about four and a half hours away from your home and leave them in a rehabilitation center. And then return to your home without your baby. And what's not, what we can't see written in here, but what I know as a dad is the pain that the father went through while the son was in the pig pen. And the agony of that. Because you want the very best for your children. And I remember the hours of her and I crying on the way to and on the way from. And you're talking about, I thought the most difficult was dropping her off, but to go visit with her and then to have to leave and come back home again. It never got any easier. I don't believe it ever did until, until the one time, the journey when she came home. I remember that trip going a little faster than the other trips. Y'all just forgive me breaking the speed limit. But the third thing I want to talk about, about the father's love for a child that's gone prodigal, wasteful, it's an eager love. Eager, E-A-G-E-R, meaning uh, I can't wait to do it. Uh, what happened was this father, who we know was an older man, very wealthy, much land and provision. The way we know that the father was eager was that he was watching the horizon on this trail for the son to come home. He sees the son a long ways off, way, way out there, and he doesn't wait for the child to make all the necessary provision to get to where he is. You see, when God sees you repent, when God sees you really turn away from something that is destroying you, he will meet you. He will run to you. He will bring with himself everything you need to find victory and to lay down the guilt. I wish somebody would smile in here. Maybe none of y'all have lived that kind of lifestyle, but I have. And he saw him way out there, and the Scripture says he ran. Can you see the Father? Now, different than our culture, he had robes on. You know, usually one piece of cloth and an outer garment. And can you see him, can you see him reach down and pull him up? And what you find out about older men is they don't generally run. Now, that's still cultural. I got any older men in the room? Huh? If you see an older man running, you better run too. Huh? They asked me this year, you want to play softball? I said, heavens no. Why? I didn't say I'm old, I'm older. And them hamstrings don't hold up like they used to. So to see this father in this culture, in this time with his prestige, pull his robe up. Have you ever tried running, by the way, in flat foot, bare leather bottom sandals? Fast as you can? Not on a paved road. On a trail in the Middle East? No, I don't think you have. Let's just use the word. Here it is. Difficult. But the father doesn't weigh any of that. He's not concerned about what it's going to cost him. He's willing to pay any cost. Let me tell you something. The father was willing to pay any cost to rescue you. And that was even including the death of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And he pulls up his robe, and he breaks and runs to the sun. And when he gets to him, he doesn't slap him. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Some of us might would have done one little backhand. They said, all right, now get up. We can make up now. But not the father. It says he fell on his neck. Can you see that embrace? I can, because I remember when we went to pick up our baby. I remember. You're talking about embrace. You remember those hugs? Woo, I got a picture of one right down here. Hallelujah. It's an embrace like no other. And the father held the son, kissed him on his knee. You just kiss wherever you can get. You know what I mean? Kiss them all on the head and the hair and the face, and you're just so glad at their home. See, you've had the wrong idea. The enemy has convinced you that you can't come home because if you come home, the father's going to look at you different. He's going he's to chastise you. He's going to browbeat you. He's going to put you down. You're going to be in a second class category, what might I say to you, which is, according to the Lord Jesus, an outright lie. And not only is it an eager love, but finally, number four, I tell you we're going to land it softly, is a restoring love. You say, what do you mean a restoring love? Well, Remember the son had rehearsed his repentance. When I get there, I know, don't you know it's hard for him? He's thinking about how's daddy going to look at me? The pain in his eyes. What's it going to be like to look at daddy knowing I betrayed him? Man, it's going to be hard. I'm going to try quick as I can to get these words out so daddy will know where my heart is. You know, so that daddy won't think I've just come home to see if I can get more money. Hello? I want to hurry and get these words out to let Daddy know that I really am repentant and, I, and, I, and I'll show it with humility. I mean, I, I'll just be a servant. You don't even have to call me son. Just put me somewhere out, out, out in the field sweeping or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. Just, I just want to be back with my, with my Daddy. And he's rehearsed all that and now the father's ran to him. By the way, don't you think there was a minute where the son's thinking, mm, <laughs> I spent all his money. <laughs> and they're embracing and then he gets the words out. Or he gets half the words out. Let's look, all right? <clears throat> but the father said to his servant, he gets the words out and he says, you know, let me be. And he says, the father interrupts him in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. What's happened here is restoration. It's a restoring kind of love. See, what he said was get the best robe. Now, the best robe belonged to the father. And it wasn't just any of his robes. It was his feastal robe. It was a robe that he would wear to feast. It was the best of the best, the creme de la croix, if you will. It was the number one robe in the whole house. He said, I want my son to know that because he's come home and he was lost and now he's found he's not second class he's not even the younger brother Uh uh-oh see because the younger brother got less than the older brother i want to show him that he is my son and that's all that matters put the best robe on him oh and put a ring on his hand showing that he is part of my family put sandals on his feet because servants didn't generally get that we see the picture of a father who can take someone who has carried themselves to the filthiest of places and can restore them to a place higher than the imagination could ever climb. All this morning, I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me for a minute. Would you do that in closing? Just for a moment. I know I'm surprised that we're finished as well. But if you would just bow your head with me for just a moment and clear your stuff away as quickly as you can. I'm going to ask that you don't get up and down and swing them back doors open wide open constantly. By the way, the child of God ought to be hanging on pins and needles to see what happens during the response time. So unless there's some type of emergency, please don't distract those around you. My humble prayer is simply this. In a room this size, I know there are a lot of us that are in a place where we need to come home. Some in the room, I believe, have never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. There's never been a true place of surrender. And really, you've sort of viewed him as either not there or a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And today he's presented himself to you as one who comes in rescue of the lost. And he wants to rescue you. He wants to put the robe on your shoulders and ring on your hand. But he won't force it on you. He's too kind to do that. So today I wonder what your response will be. Will you continue in the pig pen? of lostness, the misery of being separated from God, the unfulfillment. Would you be willing today to get up, make one step toward home, 
and find Jesus meeting you there. Maybe you're here and you know for certain that Jesus is Lord of your life, but my goodness, something has lured you away like it has all of us at one time or another. And right now in this moment, God has revealed to you that thing that you thought was good, that way of thinking, that lifestyle, that decision, that it doesn't line up with His will and the end of it is not good, but He is good. And I've been praying the Holy Spirit of God would grant you repentance. That He would crush our pride because that's what keeps us sometimes in the pig pen. That not one soul within the sound of my voice will be satisfied with hanging some pictures in your pig pen and play, play, putting a couch in the pig pen and laying a, a cover down there, rug in the pig pen and making a comfortable, decorated pig pen out of your life. But instead that you turn your back on that which is harming you and turn your face unto Jesus and find rescue and restoration there. I want to ask you to stand with me, still in a time of prayer. Would you stand and just pray where you're standing with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment? I want to say that the altar is open. If you feel led of God just to come down, find your place there, just begin to pray, oh God, I need to come home. I didn't realize that I've drifted in the area of, I want to come home. There's somebody here today, and you've been in that far country for so long. Just talk to him. Lord, bring me, let, let me come home. God, I'm coming home. Somebody here today has never invited Jesus to be Lord. Just right where you're standing. Did you know that you could do that? You don't have to come down and hug my neck or shake my hand or, or any of the guys that will be down front. No, no. There's one mediator between God and man. It is the man Christ Jesus. If you will believe that he died for you and rose again. And if you will confess him as Lord. Turning your back on you being God and turning unto Jesus as being God. He'll save you. It's that simple. So, Father, I pray this morning that your kingdom would come in this room. That people's hearts, mine included, would be transformed. God, that we would be humble and receptive to whatever you're leading us to do today. That as we've looked at this passage, the passage is not teaching us to be welcoming to sinners, although that's a secondary principle. The primary principle of the text is that we serve a God who desires our return. And we love you for it. Now, Lord, draw them home. Draw us home right now. In Jesus' name, send repentance across this place like a wave, a mighty rushing wind. Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Holy Ghost, have freedom right now to transform how we are living our lives that we might know what it is the wonderful power and provision and presence of Almighty God. Lord, do what only you can right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.